Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join with me in your Bible or the Pew Bible or your Bible app, uh, today's text is going to be from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 6 through 13. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister living irresponsibly and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not irresponsible when we were with you, And we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked day and night so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we did not have the right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living irresponsibly, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, we gather this morning yearning to hear what you would say to us, listening intently with our ears, our minds cleared for the power of your spirit, our hearts open to the movement of your spirit. So Lord, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, May we be changed. May we be transformed so that we leave this place not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So we preachers, we're a, an interesting lot. We sort of learn things along the way. We sort of develop rhythms and habits that work for us. And sometimes we can, we can kind of get stuck in a rut and sometimes we get out of the rut, but we go down the road a little bit further, and then we, um, well, we get lost. We go right back to what we know. And that includes things such as where we might draw inspiration or a source of material for sermon illustrations or for sermons in general. For example, I've got a colleague that I guarantee you one out of four Sundays, Star Wars works its way into his sermons. And if it's not Star Wars, it's The Simpsons. Go figure, that show's still on. But anyway, and then there are others that turn to classic literature, you know, Mark Twain, F. Scott Fitzgerald, maybe William Faulkner. Others, it's sports, whether it's a particular team or a particular sport like baseball. They sort of bring those up. I worked with a guy once that um, he sort of fell into that category, sort of got stuck in a rut every once in a while, or he would go home to what he knew best 
where he found his inspiration. Now, let's start with this. He was a parrot head. Now, those of you don't know what parrot heads are, they are fans, they're Denzians of the minor prophet, that's with a little lowercase m and a lowercase p, the minor prophet known as Jimmy Buffett. And invariably, he would bring up something from Buffett's song catalog or something, but one of his most often quoted uh, songs, these were the lyrics. I bought a cheap watch from a crazy man floating down a canal. It doesn't use numbers or moving hands. It always says, now. Now, you might think that I've been taken or I might have been had, but this watch is never wrong. Ah, yes. The wisdom of a man who has spent his entire adult life living in the present. The great Jimmy Buffett. It's always now for him. And maybe there's a lesson in there for us, especially when we pair it with this passage from 2 Thessalonians. I mean, think about what's happening in the church in Thessalonica, right in Thessalonica. When Paul writes in this second letter, there's a couple of things that he's trying to address and really trying to call them out on. First, there's a group in the church called the Gnostics, and really the best way to describe them is they figured that Jesus had already come back. They knew they'd been raised from the dead, but they figured the second coming had already happened, and so they decided that they were living in the good times. They were living in heaven in the present. So therefore, they didn't need to do any work, they didn't need to do any service, they didn't even need to clean anything, that it was just going to all be taken care of, much in the same way we might imagine what heaven would be like. Then there was a second group that they thought the Gnostics might be a little off, but they figured that Jesus was coming any day now. The second coming was going to happen any day now, so they pretty much, they quit their labors, I don't know what they were going to do. I don't know if they had to pack anything or they needed to rest up. I mean, it's a second coming. What do you need to do to get ready? But they had quit everything essentially to prepare. And so they were living off of their savings. They were living off what they sort of, sort of a, a theological 401k, if you will. And so Paul, in his letter to him, he commands them without mincing words to give up this kind of living. Instead of coasting, get about the business of the kingdom, to live the kingdom way. And it's a commentary on what they were doing and how they were living their lives, but I think it's a commentary for us as well about how we use our time. And is it pleasing to God? What do we do with what God has blessed us with in this present day, in this present time, in this place? I mean, Paul is challenging us to think about how we live and what we do with what we have. I mean, if we really knew how much time we had left, if we knew definitively when it was going to all be over, what would we do? He challenges, would we pity ourselves? Would we... Would we pity the lot that we had, that we didn't have more time than that? Or would we live it up, sort of eat, drink, and be merry? Or would we roll up our sleeves and go to work? I think about this text, and I think about it, and I think about this man that I got to know some 20-some years ago. His name was Lynn, uh, his name was Lynn Morgan, and Lynn worked for GE up in Fairfield, Connecticut, 
And one day, Lynn had been asked by his church to be a chaperone on their, on their church youth mission trip to the Appalachia Service Project. And so he packed the kids up in vans and drove all the way down from Connecticut to go to central Appalachia, you know, uh, eastern Kentucky, western Virginia, west Virginia, uh, east Tennessee, that area. Some of the poorest areas in our country. And they go down there to build homes to make them warmer, safer, drier, and Lynn gets hooked. Lynn is eat up with this whole idea of ASP. So he comes back and he rolls up his sleeves and he tells his youth director, I'm going to do more. I'm going to help us get going. He starts talking this up with his friends in town and convinces their youth groups. And before you know it, he's got a cooperative of churches that are now, now not just using vans, but they're using buses to come south and renting vans locally to do this work. Hundreds of teenagers so Lynn's working for Jeannie. He thinks, you know, we can do more for this. You know, the G's got this foundation. You know, I'm going to go to them and see if they'll give money to help support the work of ASP. So he goes in, he talks to the guy that's the president of the GE Foundation, and he starts laying the whole thing out. And, he's, and the guy says, now, Lynn, it's a church thing, right? He goes, well, yeah, these are church youth groups. Yeah, they go and they do this. He goes, Lynn, you know that we can't support a religious institution. He goes, yeah, but let me tell you what there is. It's all these teenagers, and they come and they learn leadership, and they, they help, they take care of the community. They're serving the community. They're making a difference. They're learning to grow together. They're building community across different churches and different sides of town and different high schools. And then the guy stops and says, whoa, 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 Lynn. Are you telling me that you have a youth leadership initiative? Lynn goes, yes, I have a youth leadership initiative. And with that... The GE Foundation's on board. Now, Lynn and I got to know each other because we served on the board of, the, of ASP. And as we got to know this, I got to know his story. I was just impressed by this because even as he got older, even after he retired, this was his passion. This was his life's work, if you will. Our last board, one of our last board meetings together, I saw it, caught it with Lynn. I said, well, Lynn, how are you doing? He goes, I, I'm not doing so great. I said, oh, he goes, I got some disturbing news the other day. I've got cancer and, you know, I just, I've got to figure this out. And so we were talking and I asked, you know, all the pastoral questions, you know, well, tell me more about this. You know, how's your family? You know, what's, what treatments are you taking? And I got down to that one question. What, what are the doctors saying? He goes, well, let's put it this way, Glenn. I'm not buying green bananas anymore. And that just broke my heart. But what you know about Lynn is that he never quit. Even though he wasn't buying green bananas, even though he didn't know how much time left, he stayed involved with ASP until he couldn't do it anymore. See, he didn't give up. He, he lived a faithful life and he lived it faithfully. He didn't retreat, even in overwhelming odds. I think about us, I think about you and me in our lives. I mean, it's easy for us when we are overwhelmed by all the things coming our way and all the different stuff. It's easy for us to be overwhelmed, but the lifeline for us is our faith and our relationship with God. And so the lesson here in this text, and from just looking at Lynn's example, this lesson is that no matter what we face, to not retreat, but instead to continue to dig deeper. Continue pressing forward for the kingdom to continue working on our relationship with God. Because the time is now. The time is now. 
But this idea of time, it makes me wonder. I mean, I think about just this past week, there's a lucky soul out in California won the $2 billion, the record-setting lottery. Now, you know, okay, we, we take it out. They take it as a lump sum. They get a billion. You do after taxes. They have $600 million. What if that was you? What would you do with those kind of resources? How would it change your life? Would you go to work tomorrow? How would you spend your money? I mean, when you ask those questions in that light, it really gets down to the idea of values, doesn't it? You know, is it this idea of work versus service, this idea of materialism versus generosity, planning and citizenship versus faithfulness. But seriously, what would we do? If that was you, what would you do? I mean, it might change the way you live, right? It might change how you earn a living or what you do with your time. Would you just eat, drink, and be merry? Would you do something more with it? Because friends, each of us in this room, each of us in this worship service, each of us in this church, we all have a calling. We have been given gifts and graces to make the world better, to build God's kingdom, one person, one action, one moment at a time. And so what would you do if you had that kind of time? If you were freed up from the obligation of work, what would you do with the time to build the kingdom? Here's an interesting fact. There are 8,760 hours in a year. If you worked a 40-hour work week for 52 weeks, you worked 2,080 hours. If you got that that rock-solid eight hours of sleep every night, every day of the year, you would sleep 2,920 hours in a year. That leaves 3,760 hours for everything else. 3,760 hours for everything else. The point here is that whether you have to work or not, whether you're retired or you're employed or you won the lottery or anything else, there are plenty of hours for kingdom living. There are plenty of hours for kingdom work. The time is now. But we think about this idea of time, don't we? We worry about time. We think of time as fleeting. I mean, I think about last week we talked about St. Therese of Lisieux. And at 24, she knew that her lifespan was going to be much, much shorter because of tuberculosis. She knew she was dying. And what did she do with her time? Or maybe you're a parent with a middle schooler or a high schooler and you realize that the clock is ticking that in, in the very near future, the nest is going to be empty. Or maybe you're a student and you're watching the calendar on the semester wind down and you know that there's all those papers that are due, right? It could be like a friend of mine who was an interim pastor in a Presbyterian church. They step in following a long pastorate and so he's got a two-year contract. He's got six months left. What did all these people do? What did St. Therese do? What does a high school parent do? What does a student do? What does my pastor friend do? 
They roll up their sleeves and they get busy with what time is left. They get busy and that's the whole point. That's what Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica. That's what he's telling us. He says, get busy living or get busy dying. Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. What does that look like to Paul? What does that look like for us as followers of the risen Christ? It means doing that which matters. It means looking each other in the eye and saying, I see you. Looking at not just each other in this room, but all the children of God that we run into. To look them in the eyes, to talk to them, to listen to them. It's to say to them, you are loved. I don't mean it in just some sick or some, some slick, sappy, sort of short kind of, you know, trite sort of way. But to mean you're loved. I mean, think about this. You know, this idea of foot washing, what Jesus did with the disciples. I'm setting an example for you. He did the unthinkable. He did the most remarkable thing, the thing that none of them thought they deserved from him. You are loved. It's to say that you matter in thought, word, and deed to, to pour into others both our faith, but the tools to survive, to mentor them, to teach to show them that, they, that they're valued and to help them succeed in life. It's about living the gospel message of love and grace and forgiveness in our thoughts, words, and deeds. See, we have an impact on the world when we do this. See, there's an impact. One, it impacts the people that we're sharing this with, but it impacts everyone else that watches us doing it. It makes a difference in their lives too. And guess what? It makes a difference in ours and how we look on life and how we realize that we have been loved. Reminds me of a story of a woman. She's walking down the street on a cold winter day. It was gray outside. There was a man huddled, leaning up against the wall, wrapped up tightly in a coat that was threadbare. She stopped to talk to me. She said, sir, let me give you my scarf. She says, no, no, go away, go away, go away. She goes, it's much too cold for you to be out here. Let me walk you across the street with you and let me buy you a warm meal. Let me sit with you and just chat while we eat together. And he would have none of that. And she, and she was sort of insistent, sort of bossy about it, if you will. And she reached down to sort of help him up. And he started to fuss. And about that time, along came a police officer. And he goes, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And she says, it's too cold for him to be outside in this weather without a warm meal. I want to take him across the street and buy him lunch. And the police officer asked him, said, well, sir, are you okay with that? And in that moment in time, his heart softened. He says, yeah, 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 that's fine, whatever. And so the three of them went across the street. The woman and the police officer carrying this man. They go into the restaurant. Immediately they come into the door. And out comes the, 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 the manager. And he's like, no, 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 not in here. And you're not bringing him in here. If you bring him in here and put him at one of my front tables, no one's going to come in here with someone looking like that. Without missing a beat, the woman says, you know the bank down the street? And she named the bank, and he said, yeah. She goes, they do a bit of business with you, don't you? He goes, oh, yes, they use one of my private dining rooms every week for their senior staff meeting. And she said, then you must not really be that observant. I own the bank. 
she had him in that moment. She says, and you've enjoyed our profit, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to sit here and we're going to have lunch together. She invited the police officer to join me. He says, ma'am, I would love to, but I'm on duty. She said, well, let me buy you at least a cup of coffee. She bought him a cup of coffee and he went out the door. And as the story goes, they sat there and they had lunch. And later the man finally said to her at the end of the meal, he says, why are you doing this for me? And she says, you don't remember me, do you? He says, no. She says, I've never forgotten you. When I first came to town some 20, 30 years ago applying for a job, I was fresh out of school. I had spent all my money getting here. I had an interview. I was hoping that I would get this because this was my last ditch effort at employment in this city. And I stopped in your deli. You were working behind the counter and I had no money for lunch. And I asked if I could wash dishes just to get lunch before my afternoon interview. And you looked at me and you looked at how I was dressed. And you says, no one that looks that nice that's looking for a job that's going to get the job because I know you are is going to wash dishes and you gave me the best sandwich I have ever eaten. She said, I saw you today and I knew it was my turn to buy you lunch. She walked outside later and she saw the police officer. She says, I'm so sorry. I didn't think to ask you how you took your coffee, whether it was black or with sugar or cream. He goes, I usually take it with three sugars and one cream, but you know, what I watched you do today was sugar enough for me. See, folks, the story here is a story of kindness received and kindness repaid and kindness taught. It's the gospel. That's the work that we're called to do. Because we have received kindness And we must repay it and we must teach it. Because the time is now. See, at this time, in this place, we are called together. God has knitted us together for this time, this place, to not only grow closer to God together, but to live and build God's kingdom. And there's much work for us to do. So I don't know how long that time is. But in this time, in this place, right now, we are called to do that. To grow closer to God and to build God's kingdom. Because there is much work for us. And the time is now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.